Continuing on with our reading in Luke 23. When they had led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming from the country, and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of people, and of the women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also, who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the Skull, they were cru- there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on his left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering and saying to him, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were, who were hanged there with him was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. He was righteous. And all the crowds who came together for the spectacle, when they observed what had happened, they began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. Let's open with a word of prayer. Most holy God, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather together and hear your word. The most important word that has ever been written or spoken because it is the word that tells us about Jesus and how he has died so that we may have life and have it abundantly. 
Lord, we ask that you would till the soil of our hearts. Prepare our hearts to accept them, the seeds of truth and knowledge that you are going to sow in our hearts this morning. Lord, I ask that you would give grace to the hearer. May those hearing me this morning have ears to hear, eyes to see you in all of your glorious perfection. Lord, I ask that you would give to me, this sinner, grace as well as I endeavor to communicate and unpack your truth so that it edifies our souls for your name's sake. The enemy of our souls, he hates and despises when your word is proclaimed. So place your hedge of protection around us here this morning. Keep him from distracting us. Keep him from preventing your message from being delivered and heard and received. Now, Lord, may all glory, laud, and honor be given to you this day. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love wonderful opportunities, holiday seasons, because it gives you a time to pause and reflect. This last week, uh, I, I, I had the pleasure of, of spending some time reviewing a book that I read several years ago. And contained within that book, and within its pages, is a very short but wonderful biography of an incredible preacher and Bible scholar from the 20th century. Many of you have probably heard him, as Pastor Ryan has mentioned his name several times, some of his thoughts, some of his writings from this pulpit. Uh, His name was Arthur Walkington Pink, or A.W. Pink, as he's better known. And and in his biography of, of Mr. Pink, Ian Murray had this to say about him. In his bedroom, his Bible was ever open. Ten chapters of scripture were read daily, plus one particular portion to which he would give particular study ten minutes or more throughout the seven-day period. In addition, he would take one special verse each day for meditation, carrying it with him on a small slip of paper to which he would turn to at spare moments, asking God to open to him its spiritual meaning and then write it on his heart. It was through this method that Mr. Pink memorized the whole epistle to the Ephesians on a streetcar over time. On days when he was free of business, he could spend up to 10 hours in his delight with the Bible. Now when you read of someone having that much discipline for study and that level of devotion and dedication to God and his word you could almost be led to suppose that A.W. Pink must have come out of his mother's womb loving Christ. Earnestly striving for the cause of Christ since he was even able to walk or talk. But, like most men and women that God uses mightily in their generation and the ones that follow, that was not the case. One biographer gives the account of his young life when he says, Pink was born during the height of the Industrial Revolution one year before Queen Victoria celebrated her 50th year on the throne of the United Kingdom. This Victorian era was a period of significant social, economic, scientific, and technological progress for England. And the Christian faith, 
and morality were the predominant, though in retrospect, too comfortable cultural influences, meaning they were, they were uh, taken for granted. As a result, many, though, thought, I'm sorry, many distracting trends and alternative influences in intellectual and spiritual thought can either be originally traced back to or gained powerful momentum during the Victorian era. Some of these influences include higher criticism movement, uh, Darwin's theory of science, and the advent of some of the major Christian cults. Sadly today, I would say that we are still dealing with, if not living out, the fall of those movements. We're actually probably seeing the beginning of a powerful resurgence in them in our day and age. Biographer continues, in this uh, physically prosperous but intellectually discontented environment, all three of the pink children, in spite of the outstanding character, dedication, and example of their parents, apparently walked away from their Christian upbringing. Arthur ended up at a young age embracing something called theosophy, which is described as a cult that holds that all religions are attempts by the spiritual hierarchy to help humanity in evolving to greater perfection and that therefore each religion has a portion of the truth. It was an influential counter-Christian movement of that era. Arthur apparently rose through the ranks of this cult quickly. He was something of a rising star and the main appeal for the cult was through seances or pseudo-mysticism. The appeal to secret knowledge quasi-Gnosticism, and the power of magical healing and clairvoyance, pseudo-witchcraft. King Solomon rightly said in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. Now, reading through that description of theosophy, it's interesting because in reality, it has pretty much described the spiritual culture of our day and age. All religions are some ethereal spiritual being or whatever trying to help humanity evolve or become enlightened. Or to put it more simply, all religions have a portion of the truth. But rather than have people sift through all the religions to discover for themselves what potential portion of truth each really contains or not, unfortunately today we have gone just that step further. Today most would in fact just say that all religions just simply lead to God. Don't worry about things like details or particulars, because all roads lead to God eventually. Just as long as you're sincere, that's all that really matters. That is the battle cry of our day and age when it comes to spiritual matters. I find it a difficult idea really to rally against. Because there is absolutely no basis or foundation for the idea except that person's own self-appointed authority in his own world. It is completely subjective, serving the almighty I rather than the almighty I am. So how do we confront this error? How do we confront an error like this of such magnitude? That is why I'm so encouraged with the rest of the story about A.W. Pink. During the time of Arthur's turning away from Christianity, his parents' prayers and unwavering commitment to their faith never faltered. 
They gave him prayer. And they gave him a wonderful example. Upon returning home from a theosophy meeting one evening, on his way to his bedroom, Arthur was given this scripture by his father. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14, verse 12. Arthur could not shake the conviction of this scripture, and after three days of wrestling with God, he emerged from his room gloriously converted. With that one verse, that one sliver of divine truth, God set to work by the power of the Holy Spirit on the heart of young A.W. Pink. And you know what? That is what I love about the Word of God. Even the tiniest little sliver or shaving can completely turn a person's world upside down. Especially when the Holy Spirit is at work in that person's heart. It is unfortunate that in our modern day we feel as Christians that we have to be a preacher on the scale of Charles Spurgeon or an evangelist on the level of Billy Graham to be able to help anyone come to faith in God. But the story of A.W. Pink's conversion says, no, no, you don't. Just be a faithful proclaimer and witness of the truth that you do know. And the Spirit is more than capable for the rest. Folks, I want to say something that has always stuck with me, especially when I'm feeling rejected or in trying to evangelize someone in my sphere of influence. I always have to remind myself that the Lord has never met his match. Never. And we see that, we see this such an example of what the Holy Spirit can do with a simple sliver of truth in the passage that I just read. Actually, we see two examples, but for the sake of time, I'm only going to look at one. Look with me at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse, literally blaspheming at him, saying, Are you not the Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One of God? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal answered, and rebuking the first criminal said, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, the death penalty, and we are indeed suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me, look kindly upon me, favorably, mercifully upon me, when you come in your kingdom. Now right there, what we see in that verse, right there in that moment, we see a transformation we see a soul that has been transferred from the realm of darkness into the realm of light. From a child of wrath into a child of God. What we are witnessing right here in these couple sentences is the split second, blink of an eye, spirit wrought conversion of a soul. Now just think about that. It's amazing. Now, some may say, well, uh, no, well, Blake, maybe, maybe the second criminal knew Christ before. But when you read Matthew's account of the crucifixion, we discover in chapter 27, verse 44, that the robbers, plural, who had been crucified with him, were also insulting him with the same words. 
This man, this robber, was not a Jesus lover or one of those who followed him as he ministered through Judea or Galilee. No, he was a common criminal who providentially met the Lord just moments or hours before his death and was miraculously converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Honestly, what else other than the Holy Spirit can explain this transformation and conversion in such a short period of time? For what really had this man heard? What sermon was he given in that moment that would explain such a a dramatic change? What could possibly explain why this criminal would look over at a man who is hanging on a cross just like him, who is bruised and beaten and battered, and then say to himself, yeah, I'm pretty sure this guy could probably save me. Humanistically speaking, there's nothing. You know, did Jesus pull him aside before they were hung on their respective crosses and take him through a, a little booklet about how to be saved again or, or uh, saved from above? You know, did he teach him the sinner's prayer before they got hung up on their crosses? No. Not that there's anything wrong with those means of grace, but they, there just wasn't time. They were too busy carrying their own crosses. So what did this sinner have? The only scripture he had in that moment was the simple sign that hung over Christ's head on his cross, which read, this is the king of the Jews. It was placed there by Pilate as a petty revenge against the Jewish leaders. And the only sermon he heard was the Lord himself saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Coupled with the mocking, scornful derision that the Jewish leaders were hurling at Christ as he stood there bloodied and bruised and beaten and emaciated on the cross. Verse 35, and the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. That's it. Just a plank with a petty, sarcastic title, a gracious pleading for the souls of those perpetrating a vicious crime, and the sneering and mocking abuses of a bloodthirsty mob. Now that's not what I'd call very poetic scripture or a very elegant, well-crafted sermon. But in the hands of the Holy Spirit, it's enough. And what was Christ's response to the Spirit-produced conversion and faith of this dying man? Remember, he reached out in faith to Christ and said, Remember me, have care and concern and mercy upon me. What was Christ's response to this man's faith? It was assurance. Blessed assurance. And Christ said to him, truly, amen, is the transliterated word we find here. What we say at the end of a prayer, we were saying truly, we agree with what has just been prayed. Christ said it there, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Verse 43. It was the simplest of prayers from a condemned sinner. And Christ said, amen, truly. Blessed assurance does not come from a strong economy or a strong army or a good government or a spouse or parents. 
That is a del- the, the delusional thinking of the world. No, assurance comes from being united and adopted by the Father because of the work of His Son on the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit. This truth makes me recall some of the great hymns of the past, like Augustus Top Lady's masterful rock of ages where he says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. The second verse of Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, Lord of heavenly hosts, is his name. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Jesus Christ has won that battle. How do I know that? Because I'm here today. I am proof of it. And so are many of you. Again, I say the Lord has never met his match. All the struggles and the strivings and the resistance that I have thrown up against the Lord and his anointed in the past, my friends. The Father has graciously brought me to understand that if I had been there on that day, I too would have been hurling abuse and mockery and scorn at his perfect son. I too would have been hurling abuse and mockery at his most perfect son. Remember that. Were it not for the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit, we would have all been doing the same. We would have been part of the the mocking crowd. So firstly, to you that know the Lord already, to you who have already come and had your sins washed away in the shed blood of the Lamb, none of this is new information. But I want to encourage you and say, don't stop proclaiming the gospel. You don't have to be Martin Luther or Jonathan Edwards or an up-and-coming biblical scholar to share your faith. Just be yourself and tell the gospel truth that you know and how it has transformed your life. Converting that person's soul, it's not up to you. Converting that soul, that's God's work. Your job, your work is to trust him and just tell the truth. Be faithful at it and leave the results in God's perfect hands. I want to encourage you and reassure you because I need this encouragement too. I need to hear this message just as much, if not more, at various times and seasons in my own life as you do. It is easy even for strong and mature Christians to begin to have doubts when faced with opposition from the world. We need to enter into the same mindset about evangelism as Paul had when he encouraged Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering 
for the gospel according to the power of God. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. Retain the gospel in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Beloved of God, stand firm. Stand fast. Do not be ashamed. But rather be confident and secure in whom you have believed because he will not leave you or disappoint you. Secondly, for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord this morning, I say to you, please come. Come to him at the foot of the cross and have your sins washed away. Come to him and receive the assurance that if you were to die today, that you would be with him in paradise. Come to the Lord of rest and find peace with the Father in heaven. Find peace with yourself, which can only be found in your new identity as a child of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, be reconciled to God on the behalf of Christ. He, the Father, made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Come, you man or woman hearing me today in this moment, who perhaps is right now thinking it's been too long. I've just let it go too long. Why will you perish? It hasn't been too long. And it is never too late to start doing what is right. Young adult, yes, you, come. Teenager, yes, you, come. Perhaps you're thinking, I've I've done too many things, or, you know, I'm a lost cause. I was there too. I remember. But it is never too late. It is never too early. Come. I would like to say, it brings to my mind a, a song written by a modern singer. His name is Jordan Feliz, and he says this. I have loved you from the start. I have seen your hurting heart. And you feel so lonely, but you keep on hiding. Because you feel so guilty for what you've done. 
But there's no distance too far that I can't reach you. There is no place so dark that I cannot find you. Anywhere that you are, if you need proof, take a look at these scars and know I love you. It doesn't matter what you've done, you're never too far gone. Never. Why will you perish? Come, please. I'll end with this. Dwight L. Moody, a preacher and evangelist of yesteryear, once made a grave mistake. And I can't help but wonder if it didn't haunt him for the rest of his life. He was preaching to the largest audience he'd ever had in the city of Chicago. And the title of the message was this. What will you do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? On that night, he said something that I'm quite sure he never said again. D.L. Moody was very fatigued and tired from his busy and hectic preaching schedule, and because of this, he said to the large audience, Now I give you a week to think that over. And when we come again together, you will have an opportunity to respond. And with that, Ira Sankey, his longtime friend and minister of music, came and began to sing the closing hymn. But even before Mr. Sankey finished the song, you could already hear the blare of sirens in the streets of Chicago. The date of the meeting was October 8, 1871. Some of you may, that date may mean something, for some it may not. But this is the upshot of it. The audience emerged into the streets of Chicago to discover that Chicago was ablaze. The Great Chicago Fire of 1871 broke out and left 100,000 people homeless. Hundreds of people died in the fire. A few months later, D.L. Moody rose to the occasion and said, I would give my right arm before I would ever give an audience another week to think over the message of the gospel. Some of the men and women who heard me that day died in the fire. Can you see why your friends and your family are so concerned and zealous for you to come to know Christ and for you to do it today? Why will you perish when it is right before you to believe and be forgiven? None of us is guaranteed another minute in this life Scriptures rightly say it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. That is a certainty from Scripture. This is a time of grace, but one day the Father's patience will be at an end. And what will you do then? We are living in a time of grace where you can find forgiveness and cleansing and rest and peace for your soul, all because Christ hung on the cross and endured the wrath of the Father. He drank the cup of holy justice dry. If you've never come to the Lord, do it today, not tomorrow, today. If the Holy Spirit is telling you to answer his calling in this moment, if you are, are like that robber on the cross and you know that you need the, the sin-forgiving blood of Jesus and you want to reach out to him, please know that I am not going to embarrass you in this meeting. I am not going to ask you to come up front and in front of all of these people because, in my opinion, this is a very personal and private moment. It's between you and God and no one else. But I do want to provide an opportunity. 
I want to provide an opportunity for you to respond to his calling. So after I'm done praying here in a moment, I'm going to be in Pastor Ryan's office, just right outside that door, right beside the, the coffee island. And I will be there to help you with responding to his call. Perhaps you have questions. That's only natural. I will be there as long as you need me to be. So you can mark this day as being the day that you found peace with God. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, we've heard your gospel message proclaimed here today, your good news. Oh, what a marvelous message it is. So filled with compassion and grace. Truly, it is our only hope in this life and in the life to come. I pray that you will use it mightily, Lord, to draw unto yourself all who are here this morning that do not yet know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, how we love you. And our heart's desire is to see you praised and worshipped. For you alone are worthy of our praise. Be with us as we continue to strive forward in this endeavor in our daily lives. To the honor and glory of your namesake, Lord. Amen.